Welcome back to Pulp Friction. My name is Rocky, and my name is also Rocky. This is our third solo episode that we're doing so far, if I'm not mistaken. First one was on Drake's Certified Lover Boy, which we'll talk about again today. The second one was on Eternals. This one is about the year 2021 in review, specifically looking at hit songs. Now, you gotta note that uh, my favorite songs of the year is going to be probably a playlist that I put out either at the end of January or maybe even in February. This is specifically about songs that were hits this year. Uh, It's hard to really measure hits, especially these days, but I basically look at songs that were on the year-end Hot 100 or were in the top 40 at any point during the year, excluding album tracks. Uh, It's complicated with album tracks. That's something that happens a lot, especially in the past five years, where an album will come out and it'll just clog the entire top 40, but um, basically... What I do is if a track is on the top 40 for more than a week, I count it onto the list. That was complicated, especially with the Drake album once again, because uh, he released it, I think, not on a Friday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You know, we are just going to go into this sort of a companion piece to the two articles that I've written uh, up on my Substack. One on the worst hit songs of 2021 that's already out, and one on the best hit songs of 2021 that will be out uh, either the same day of this podcast episode or the day after. I was thinking about how to release these because I knew that I would want to do a podcast uh, alongside these pieces, but I figured that I wouldn't get as much engagement on either if I released this and the best list at the same time. And if I really least the best list before, it would be a little bit like, what's the point of doing a whole podcast about it? So this podcast is going to come out a day before I go over the best hit songs of the year in that article, and then that article is going to come out probably the day after or uh, at the end of that day. And uh, beyond the hits, I think we're just going to, beyond the best and worst list, that is, I think we're just going to talk about... uh, you know, the trends in popular music this year, the big sort of top 40 um, releases that would happen, and, um, you know, just sort of going into my feelings on all of them as we also work our way through my best and worst lists. Um, As I said, we have a big episode coming up next week, and we're going to do a lot of this end-of-the-year stuff. As it is the new year, it is 2022. Happy 2022, everyone. There hasn't really been a first news story of the year yet. That's always the thing that makes it set in for me. I guess Eric Adams was uh, sworn in as, as mayor. Um, so yeah, I'm not doing a what's popping this week. I'm just going to be going into the best and worst hit songs of the year as I look through the, uh, top 40 charts that, uh, you know, have come out throughout the year. And I'm also going to be looking at my own, uh, best and worst lists that, uh, that I've already produced and they'll be up on my blog soon. So let's start with the worst list and number 20 on my worst list, which has been out for, um, Two days now, a pretty quick turnaround on everything lately. Uh, I put out the podcast probably on the 31st, um, and then I'm putting out this episode for this week on the 4th. Like I said, because I have this big thing with multiple guests, that's really why I've been sort of rushing some of these things, but also I wasn't able to really get a guest for this one, and so I figured I'd bang it out and try to release it in conjunction with this best list, which I ended up working on a little quicker than I expected to because I've been quarantining. Um, Number 20 on my worst list was Motley Crue by Post Malone, a song that I don't actually... I wouldn't say that I hate it. I would just say that 
I mean, I said this in the article, but this really should have been the year of Post Malone. And in this sort of, you know, the weekend did After Hours last year, and it was like the biggest thing in the world. And then Dua Lipa did Future Nostalgia also. And so this 80s, like, power pop wave sort of became the thing that everyone was doing. Miley Cyrus also. It was just like, like, this trend really started in 2020, and now in 2021, it is everywhere. And so Post Malone, who's always trafficked in those influences, whose biggest hit to date is Circles, which is like the, you know still one of the, I, I think, the best sort of instances of this genre so far, and it, you know, sort of leans into that 80s sound, not entirely, but, like, enough that, I, I mean, the influence is there, and it's such a great track. I would have figured that the right angle for Post Malone this year, I mean, it's very clear, he should, you know, lean into that power pop stuff. He kind of did with that song, um, One Right Now, with The Weeknd that he put out pretty recently. I didn't like that song either, this, I, again, this, like, this 80s revival stuff has been sort of hollow to me a lot of the time, but I think that Post Malone was really in the right place to do something really cool with that sound, and the fact that he put out the, another generic, like, one of, one of these, like, you know, rock star or psycho or, um, I mean, White Iverson, if you want to go way back, but these sort of flat, uh, trap singles that he that, that he likes to do sometimes I thought we were moving away from the idea of Post Malone being a rapper you know and he doesn't like to call himself a rapper and I like it's not really what he's great at he's uh, he's he has a great voice and he's great at like pop and this sort of rock influence kind of sound that he has but you know for him to be just sort of sliding right back into there especially now of all times it's like disappointing to say the least and i don't know i just think that like motley Crue, it's an okay song and has that like fast and furious vibe to it and like i mean it's very you know you can see this being like a reject from a fast and furious soundtrack i don't know that it wasn't maybe it was on the fast and furious soundtrack let me look that up actually because i'm gonna feel really stupid if it's actually on the uh the f9 soundtrack and i just you know didn't uh make a note of that uh no it isn't okay that's good <laughs> Just had to take a, a quick double check on that because it really does sound like a song from a Fast and Furious soundtrack and not in a good way for the most part. I mean, it's, you know, fun, whatever. I'm sure, like, like I see, I could enjoy it, but I, I think it's a disappointment from Post Malone at this point in his career. And so my number 19 on the worst list is Happy Anywhere by Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani. Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani, I don't feel like I need to say much about, like, it's weird. It's a weird coupling. They don't really have a lot of chemistry and you know, especially this, I mean, this is like the fourth time they've tried to collaborate together, and it, it really never does anything for them, just because they, yeah, I mean, they don't have chemistry, especially musically, and, you know, Gwen Stefani is sort of a chameleon, I guess, but she's always Gwen Stefani, you know, she can do pop, and she can do even country-influenced stuff, but, like, she's always gonna have that kind of ska 90s uh, edge to her, even as she tries to sand it down, um, and Blake Shelton, <laughs> Blake Shelton is Blake Shelton. I mean, it's all, it's all right there in the name. So I feel like Happy Anywhere is more successful than some of their previous attempts to collaborate because it's really just a Blake Shelton song that Gwen Stefani's like a backup singer on. I don't want to see Gwen Stefani get like shunted to, to, to make this dynamic work. I don't want to see Gwen Stefani fade into the background because even though Gwen Stefani's made plenty of bad music, um... She, I like, like, I like her, and I'm rooting for her. And you know, her, her personality, her edge is something that no one else really has replicated. It's something that we kind of need in pop music. I'm thinking now about the time that uh, Flavor Flav met Miley Cyrus backstage at something, and he was like Gwen Stefani. Um, but you know, Miley's sort of in a similar wheelhouse. But like Gwen Stefani is is Gwen Stefani. Like you know, I so I I just like. This is a decent country tune. It's not very catchy, actually. It's kind of a bad country tune. But, uh, 
the real, I guess, the philosophical issue with it for me is that is that Gwen Stefani is so not present on it. After that, I have uh, Coyle Ray's hit "No More Parties." I, you know, I don't like Coyle Ray. I don't uh, have much philosophically to say about it. I guess I see her. You know, I see how people think of her in the same frame as like Playboy Cardi, but I just, I don't know. I feel like she's her like artistic impulses are not as weird as 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 like a Playboy Cardi or I don't know six four five A or any of these other people who are sort of playing with these you know sort of sort of space age kind of sounds and proggy stuff like Coyle Ray. I mean that that's what appeals to me about Playboy Cardi. So when I hear Coyle Ray over this like feels kind of dated this sort of like party uh clubby track with with Lil Durk who's great and who does a you know solid verse but like I don't know I I have not been impressed by Coyle Ray so far let's say uh this brings us into Justin Bieber who I have at number 17 with Holy featuring Chance the Rapper uh I didn't end up putting Bieber anywhere on my best list but I did actually like a lot of Bieber's output this year I feel like people who are not as attuned to what is popular might be surprised to learn that this was a really big year for Justin Bieber but it really was. I mean, Justice has probably been his biggest album since, I mean, he, he was purpose and then he was off for like five years. And then he did a bad album last year that no one cared about. And this year he's sort of like the damage control with Justice. But this has probably been, this has easily been the best, the biggest year for him since 2016. And he's had easily a half dozen hits, probably more, because um, he was on that WizKid song and he had like anyone and nobody and, uh, or lonely rather, and um, Peaches, which was a big hit. And I, I like Peaches. It's got that kind of 90s, like, mambo number five thing about it but it's also got that smooth sort of uh, and you know the features are really good so i i'm pro peaches at the end of the day but um yeah holy for me is just like i don't know it, it, it's like leaning all in on the christian stuff and i feel like his sort of relationship to that stuff it always feels hollow even though i look back at the purpose era and all that album is clearly about god but it, it's like on the surface, it's a it's a pop album, and it's you know love songs and breakup songs and that kind of thing. And you know when when you have Holy and it's like this is a love song disguised as a Christian song, you know, sort of in reverse. That 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 feels weird to me. And it's like you know I feel like it doesn't work as a love song because it's trying to again masquerade as a Christian song, and it doesn't you know it doesn't bring that like devotional element into play really it's just like you know it feels very clinical like the you know the church rather than church and so for, for to, to just be like you the way you hold me feels so holy but with the the choir and the tambourine and stuff it just it, it just feels like you know the way you hold me feels like you know eating uh, communion wafers when i'm like six years old in the fucking yeah you know i just it, it doesn't resonate as a religious love song and i tend to i tend to like songs like that i think there's a lot to mind there i think bieber's done that very well before but this is not that chance does an okay verse something my brother pointed out to me that like blew my fucking mind is that chance wore the three hat because he was promoting coloring book that was like the origin of the three hat was I'm doing my third mixtape and it was an incredible piece of promotion, a brilliant fucking thing. He became really associated with it, but I, you know, it was promotion for that album and he stopped doing it for a long time. The Big Day comes out and it's a, you know, notorious flop and years on, no one really has anything to write home about with it. Chance comes back kind of this year, this past year, in the past year and a half, maybe, you know, in the post 
Big Day era, where we don't know what his next project's going to be, but he is dropping Lucy's here and there, doing features like this feature. In this video, and in, like, everything I've seen him in recently, he's wearing the three hat again. So, like, he's the only, like... <laughs> his album failed so spectacularly that he went back to promoting the previous one. I, I, like, like it's it, it's insane. I also have Go Crazy by Chris Brown and Young Thug on my worst list. It might have been on last year's worst, li worst list, too. I don't exactly remember, but I do not like Chris Brown, as I'm famous for. And, I don't know, it feels like a dated, you know early 10s R&B track that they just threw a Trigger Man sample on because that's what everyone's doing right now. But like, you know, it's it's generic. It sounds like a million other fucking Chris Brown songs. He does these 40 track albums full of songs like these. This one has Young Thug on it. He's super watered down on this on this track i feel like you know you think of the duo of chris brown and young thug and they did this whole album together i didn't listen to the whole thing but i think like you can sort of see the idea there where they can both kind of have this like manic melodic sort of thing going on and they can sort of bounce off of each other in that way but no this is just like sort of thug being watered down to fit into a chris brown song usher and young thug work together better my number 15 is Bad Habits by Ed Sheeran. I've always, I guess, relative to my peers, been something of an Ed Sheeran apologist. I mean, I guess the, the like, prevailing media opinion is still that Ed Sheeran is good, but I feel like there's a lot... It, he's, it, he's very easy to hate on, and it seems like he doesn't mind it, so it's like, you know, you can get your, get your jokes in, but I feel like... I, I've compared Ed Sheeran to Billy Joel in a way that has upset some people, but the reason I say that is I feel like he's a really good storyteller, and he has these brilliant, you know, storytelling songs, these sappy love songs that he's sort of known for, but then he's also got a lot of attempts to be cool <laughs> in different ways, trying to ride trends, and, um, you know, coming off like a complete, uh, making a, a, an ass of himself as he does so. And that's really what Bad Habits is. Bad Habits is sort of the, um, it's the latest Ed Sheeran, I'm trying to be cool, I'm the Joker now. I'm in the video with the fucking flying around, and just weird fucking video, horrible fucking video. But, um, the song itself is, you know, not horrible, but just, like, I mean, there's just, there's just no, like, angle to it, you know? It starts out as, it's like, Shape of You, I see it, you know? I see how the, like, the hook is there, and it's, like, doing this dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, you know, this almost, it's something sort of gym engineered in a way, you know, something that, like, you can play in the, in the minivan, but also you can sort of work out to it. This with the, like, with the, like, kind of clubby instrumentation, but it's all sort of watered down. I just don't understand, like, what the angle is with this song. There's just really nothing to it. And there are a lot of songs that I liked on this new Ed Sheeran album, which has been something of a flop, it seems. I liked Afterglow. I almost put it on my best list and just, like, yeah, I think the problem is that uh, he's trying to be cool and it never really works for him. But is he's still a great storyteller and a great pop songwriter. My number 14 is One Too Many by Keith Urban and Pink. Uh, sort of a weird little one. I had never heard it throughout the year. I just sort of saw it on the charts. And uh, 
I, th- the chemistry there is just awful. I mean, it's not a well-written song. It's kind of hookless and, you know, bland, which is a, a trend you'll find in my worst list. Just, you know, things that don't leave an impression on me. But I also just think it's crazy to me that Keith Urban and Pink have so little chemistry because I can sort of see, I mean, like I say in the article, I can sort of see the angle of like, you know, something with a Southern influence, but coming from a distinctly non-Southern uh, background. But I don't know. They just, it's like, you know oil and vinegar it's it doesn't oil oil and water whatever it is like it just doesn't come together stay by the kid Leroy and justin bieber also on my worst list that's a song that i know a lot of people who like a lot of critics who i respect like that song i don't i don't really know what it is again maybe it's just that this this 80s revival stuff feels really hollow to me but i also don't like the like in and out falsetto stuff on the chorus the hook doesn't really work for me i feel like Bieber adds little, and I would expect Bieber to add something to a song like this, but I feel like he and Leroy sound almost identical <laughs> on this one, which is crazy, because the kid Leroy is this, is, you know, this hollering little little twerp, and, and Bieber is, you know, known for his soulful kind of voice, but I don't feel like Justin Bieber adds anything. I feel like if this was just a Kid Leroy song, or just a Justin Bieber song, it would have been identical, and, uh, you know, if this was on, I mean, it might have been on Justice, I don't remember. If this was on Justice, like, like it, it wouldn't have stood out from the crowd, I don't think, because there are better examples of this song uh, on Justice. The one with Dominic Fike is really good, and frankly, anyone is probably better than this. Like, I don't know. I I just I really don't like the hook and I find its take on 80s revival stuff hollow. So next I have Beautiful Mistakes by Maroon 5 and Megan the Stallion. Sort of a legacy position on the list at this point, but I mean like Maroon 5. It, it, it's crazy how like in 2011 when they were doing like One More Night and Payphone, people were like this is the worst shit in the world. This is the worst they're ever going to get. This like like I can't believe how bad this is. And all those songs, I mean One More Night doesn't, but Payphone <laughs> looks pretty good compared to the stuff that Maroon 5's been putting out in the last couple of years. I feel like there was really a turning point when you look at Girls Like You or um maybe don't want to know that era yeah don't want to know is probably the era where it's just like not only are these bad songs these aren't even finished (laughs) like there's no there's no angle there's no like you know riff or or, uh instrumentations you know there's no idea put into it they're just like Here's a a drum and a simple a simple key, you know, just like the bare bones of a song and lyrics that aren't really finished, a hook that feels, you know, slapped together. And let's also put the biggest rapper in the world on there. So don't want to know has Kendrick Lamar. Uh Girls Like You has Cardi B. Girls Like You is still probably the bottom of the barrel for me beautiful mistakes has megan the stallion and they're just this sort of shapeless mush of like and this is the kind of stuff that has sort of circled back around to being appealing apparently <laughs> with the with this uh tiktok age so i guess that like they've sort of lucked into a position where they could be back on the upward trajectory if they continue to do this you know shapeless kind of uh vibey you know trap drums and pop melodies stuff uh but it's bad (laughs) it's pretty bad this one was i guess a little more memorable than some of their other recent output i mean i'm sure there's a dozen songs they put out the past couple years i just can't even name uh this one at least has a bit of a hook to it and megan you know turns in an okay verse but like i i I don't even know what more there is to say about maroon 5 at this point because i really thought that girls like you was the bottom and they've just they just keep digging down (laughs) 
Then I have Put Your Records On by Rit Momney. I think maybe I would have liked this song more if I wasn't comparing it to the original, but I just feel like it feels like a cover that's for the sake of like, isn't it funny that we're covering this? And I just, I don't know, like you could just listen to Put Your Records On. If we got Corinne Bailey Ray back on the charts, I'd be like, hell yeah. But like, this is such a basically worse version of the song that it's, it's I, I don't really see the utility in it. It doesn't feel like it's adding something new to me. It feels like it's just, you know, sort of commenting on the, on like, it, it, I don't know. It feels like it's just having fun with the idea that they're covering the song. But it also feels a little surreptitious in that, like, it's appealing to a generation who might not know the original, uh, obviously having blown up on TikTok, and, like, it's a great hook, obviously. It's something that, you know, is very catchy, but I just feel like, I mean, I'm sure people found the song through this, but I, I don't know, something rubs me the wrong way about, you know, taking that song, making a worse version of it, selling it to kids who haven't heard the original. You Broke Me First by Tate McRae. I don't know where Tate McRae came from. I've done my research, but it's like she's one of the one of the pop girls, part of the like sort of bench team of, of, of pop girls who are sort of coming into focus right now. Doesn't really have a, an angle yet, but she's, you know, got the voice. She's got a fan base. She's building at this point, I think, and maybe in a couple years she'll be more of a thing or maybe she'll be like a like a BB Rex or a, B, or a Rita Ora, someone who shows up every once in a while but doesn't really at least stateside have um uh much of a following or much of an impact i should say but uh you broke me first not a great start i think she's done some good stuff since then i like the song that she did with regard and trice vaughn i feel like that's sort of the but that's sort of the angle that i see like a pop bench player sort of playing is you know um a producer like regard or like um zed or you, you know a, a, an edm producer wants to make a pop song they bring part of this stable of like less lesser known but still kind of known pop stars to come in and sing on it and it's great but it doesn't really add much to the narrative of that star um and you broke me first is you know there's clearly an attempt to do some Billie eilish stuff here with the like you know layered vocals and the sort of anti-climax of a of a of a drop where it's just like you broke me first and then it's just like and it's supposed to be like because it's because it's like low and it's not the you know big electronic shit you're expecting that's supposed to be interesting billy eilish has like a magic formula and i'm gonna talk about this as we get into the best list but you can't just like it's not just about like not doing what the audience expects you have to also it, it has to also work and i feel like you broke me first definitely doesn't work she talks about how she wrote this song without having actually broken up with anyone i think that does kind of come across it's like it it I, I mean, the breakup song, I feel like that's the first thing you do as you're learning to write a pop song, because you write a song about a breakup. I've written songs about breakups, and, you know, I've had a breakup, so I enjoy writing about it because it's something that I can sort of pull from history with, although I have to kind of remind myself that I don't really feel that way. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it, it just, I, I, again, it's just like, it fails to be a breakup song. It fails to sort of resonate with, <laughs> with someone who's actually been broken up with. Even just that premise, you broke me first, like, what's the angle on that? Is that supposed to be petty? Is that supposed to be, like, sort of devastating? Like, it doesn't really read any particular way because it's so sort of uh, roundabout and sort of overthought, I think, so... Yeah, pretty bad one, that one. Then I have Girl of My Dreams by Juice World and Suga from BTS. The thing with 
Uh, I, the thing is, I do have a Juice World song on my best list also, but the difference is that this one was not uh, finished while Juice World was alive. I believe that Suga's part was added after his death um, by Lil Baby. And yeah, I just, part of it to me is just the fact that like, we don't know if he would have put this song out if he was alive, you know? Is the song good? It's fine. If this was like the direction Juice World was going in, if he was like, I'm doing a pop album now and I'm going to do a love song with a guy from BTS, like, I, you know, if that was the angle for Juice World, I would think that's great. I might like the song a lot, but I just feel like in the, with the fact that he died before he could finish this song and the fact that like the direction it was brought in had a lot to do with what happened after the fact, it just sort of reminds me of um, that Lil Peep and McConan track where there was a version that was made with Tentacion and Peep and X didn't really get along. Like, I don't know. It, it rubs me the wrong way when you're sort of making changes to uh, something that someone made. It's the same difference between like the first Pop Smoke posthumous album and the second Pop Smoke posthumous album. Like once you're sort of digging into the archives and trying to like turn half songs into whole songs by throwing a bunch of features on there, like you're uh, exploiting them at this point. And maybe you're exploiting them the whole time. I don't know. Number eight is Throat Baby by BRS Cash, one of several attempts by men in hip hop this year to sort of replicate the success of WAP, I think, you know, or maybe just the success of like Megan and Cardi and, uh, you know, rappers who are very sort of in your face about sexuality in the past couple years. There's maybe an idea that like sex sells, sex, that, you know, these sex anthems are especially sort of silly ones or sort of, you know, sort of like overly explicit ones are sort of the things that people want to hear. The thing is that, you know, again, WAP has sort of a magic formula to it because it has that hook and that, you know, I mean, it's very funny, you know, and that not everyone can pull off that sense of humor that Cardi and Megan have. And of course, Cardi and Megan are such forces of personality in a way that I don't think BRS Cash is. And I like some of BRS Cash's stuff. I've actually heard some of his other songs and I like them, but... Yeah, most of this just feels gross. <laughs> Throat baby. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just um, really explicit uh, and not in a, not in a cheeky way, really. Just kind of like, be, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's pornographic. And I, not that there's necessarily a problem with that, but I don't think it's done in an enjoyable way. Number seven is this was kind of a controversial one, I guess. Uh, Heat Waves by Glass Animals. I knew that this song was successful. I know that people really like Glass Animals. I like to, or continue to like Glass Animals. I want to root for Glass Animals because they're gay, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I liked Pork Soda and that, like, How to Be a Human Being era. Like, there was a lot of good stuff on that album. I just really have been, I was going to say not impressed. I almost want to say depressed by their, <laughs> by their recent output. Like, I don't know. I guess I like that song they had with Denzel Curry, but it's all this like mushy, watered down. It's really in the same vein as the Maroon 5 song, as the stuff Maroon 5's been putting out this year, where it's just like, it doesn't really sound like anything. It doesn't fit into any particular genre. It's kind of hip hop and kind of pop and kind of rock maybe, but really it's just like, it, it's just kind of vibey and it's meant to be something that like you put into a TikTok video and it kind of fits any different mood. And like, that's something where I feel like that, vibey trend has been happening for a long time but i feel like tiktok's really exacerbated it because people are thinking about soundtracking when it comes to songs they're thinking about like what mood a song fits and so people want to make songs that can fit like a lot of different moods 
um, which I think is where a song like Heat Waves comes from. I initially had it a little uh, less low on the list, or uh, you know, whatever. It was in it was in the ten somewhere. I ended up kind of switching it with Beautiful Mistakes because I was writing the thing on Beautiful Mistakes and I was listening to it over and over and I was like, this is really similar to Heat Waves and it's better. <laughs> you know, maybe it's the fact that like that that like Maroon 5 has that pop background, that Maroon 5 has that ability to make hooks and make things that sort of work in radio, but I and maybe it's the Megan verse, but I just I just think that Beautiful Mistakes is a lot more memorable than Heat Waves. I'm sure I've heard Heat Waves a lot this year. I listened to it like a, easily a dozen times in the making of this list. Right now, I cannot t- t- hum you one note of that song. And like I guess the the appeal of Glass Animals relative to Maroon Five is that they have a bit of a pen and they you know their lyrics are a little off kilter. But when the song's this bad, it really doesn't make a difference. Number six is Fancy Like by Walker Hayes. I feel like uh, a lot has already been said about how bad this song is, and I don't really have that much to add to it. Um, yeah, it's supposed to be like a, you know, we don't need the fancy things. We find joy in the, the little things, but it sort of comes off in a really condescending and sort of minstrelly way that, it, you know, I don't know that Walker Hayes doesn't come from that like poor country background but like it feels like he doesn't and he's he's a pretender but just because it's like it's fancy we're going to wendy's i'm you know wearing jeans without the holes in them like i you know i don't come from that background either but like people go to wendy's like like it's a normal thing for <laughs> no matter what like class you're coming from just going to wendy's drinking beer out of a styrofoam cooler is supposed to be fancy i did you know it's, it's such a caricature of that lifestyle that i just don't think it really works also just the fact that it like the applebee's stuff is so prominent in the chorus and it was like used as is in an applebee's commercial just because it like feels like an ad i don't think it was i wouldn't put it put it past walker hayes not knowing that much about him but like yeah, pretty bad. And the version with Kesha isn't that good either. Number five is Arcade by Duncan Lawrence, who won Eurovision with this same song, I think, in 2019. Uh, this was the first year that Eurovision made an impact on the charts in America, and it's an interesting thing to think about in terms of maybe it's the fact of, I don't know, because people have been paying attention to Eurovision for years, but maybe the pandemic is what has sort of led people to actually watch Eurovision or, you know, become more invested in it, take on these sorts of these sorts of hobbies. I think it's really interesting that now of all years, Eurovision is becoming more of a thing. And maybe Monoskin specifically went viral and that led to people sort of looking at Eurovision more broadly. Or maybe it's just a coincidence that Arcade, you know, won Eurovision, started to build up in the charts in the in the in europe and then sort of eventually crossed over i know this song also was a bit of a thing on tiktok it's the per again sort of soundtracking thinking about that it's the perfect song for any kind of like sad tiktok you know heartbreak that sort of thing it sucks <laughs> i mean like i don't like these you know weepy piano ballads that pop stars end up doing that that, that end up blowing up the charts a lot but uh this i think just in terms of like the bad metaphor and the like the vocals and the just the melodrama of it all i think this is one of one of the worst that i see in this like early sam smith uh early charlie puth you know just just this category of like sort of weepy you know heartbreak anthems i guess a b c d e f u by gail is a song that has been blowing up recently 
I, I feel like I laid it out pretty nicely in my article, but this is really a bargain bin version of Hot Girl Bummer by Black Bear. Uh, starts in the exact same way. Um, I, I'm not, like, I don't think Hot Girl Bummer is a great song. I like some of the Black Bear songs. I like the album he did with Mike Posner, but I just think that... I mean, this is, I mean, I don't want to just call it a copy, but like Hot Girl Bummer is an interesting idea because like, like because it's not saying Hot Girl, it's saying Hot Girl, bu- this is the Hot Girl Bummer anthem. And so it's like, it's playing off of Hot Girl Summer and that recalls a specific moment in time, a specific age group, a specific setting. And the Hot Girl Bummer on sort of the flip side of that, it's indicating like a like a duality, and this is the Hot Girl Bummer anthem. So this is, you know, when hot girls are feeling great, they can listen to Hot Girl Summer, and when they're feeling like shit, they can listen to the Hot Girl Bummer. Uh, a, B, C, D, E, F, U <laughs> is just some bullshit. Like, it's like some schoolyard fucking... And I know Gail is 17, but this feels like a, a seven-year-old wrote it, you know? And it's like, even when there are... I don't know, the... She, God, let me look at these lyrics. This is a really bad fucking song. Fuck you and your mom and your sister and your job and your broke-ass car. (laughs) And that shit you call art. I meant to mean the best when it ended. Tried to bite my tongue when you start shit. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just reading through the lyrics here. This is, I mean, maybe even worse than I gave it credit for. But, like, really, even when you start to see, like a real narrative here like an actual heartbreak potentially having happened it is she's like a b c d e f u and you're like come the fuck on number three astronaut in the ocean by (laughs) masked wolf i really don't know what happened here i've like known people to say that they got something out of this song but i really can't imagine what um i guess masked wolf and kid Leroy and keith urban are all australians so i guess this is my uh Australia, australophobic. <laughs> I'm in my australophobic arc with this list, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I just think of Iggy Azalea when I listen to this track, and it's like Mass Wolf, where Iggy was calling to like the Nicki quadrant of rap. Mass Wolf is clearly calling to the Drake slash maybe Navs, but also kind of trying to. I guess that's like, we talk about these middle grounds of these songs that are trying to fulfill as many vibes as possible. I guess you could put Masked Wolf into this space where he's like kind of doing Drake, but he's also kind of doing the like, the like lyrical miracle YouTube shit. And it's just like, and and, you know, kind of doing a vibey thing that you can again post on TikTok. There's another song that became popular on TikTok. Astronaut in the Ocean is kind of an interesting image, I guess, but, like, he doesn't do anything with it. He doesn't even really make it clear what he means when he says he's an astronaut in the ocean. Uh, You know, you take it to mean, like, you feel out of place, but he seems to be talking about, like, being depressed, and then, like, I don't know, practically every line as he goes through the verse is just, like, complete gibberish uh my favorite is i believe in god don't believe in t-h-o-t uh but there's <laughs> there's plenty more where that came from just a really like like this is the funny bad song this is the one that like you can sort of talk shit about and these next two are sort of serious bad i, I guess they're sort of funny bad also but this is the this is the one that i don't have like a you know a soapbox again on about this is just a, a silly bad song my number two was Girls Want Girls by Drake featuring Lil Baby. As I was going through this list, I considered some Drake songs for the best list. I considered several for the worst list. Ultimately, the only one that left enough of an impression for me to actually want to talk about it was 
Girls Want Girls. Uh, you know, I, I sung the praises of uh, Way Too Sexy when I did the uh, the Drake uh, album reaction, and I still like that song a lot. It didn't end up making my best list, but it is probably not that far below it. I just think that, like, uh, I don't know. I, you know, as time goes by, I don't think it succeeds in what it's trying to do. I think I liked what it was trying to do, and I, you know, I, I might have liked it more if it wasn't a Drake song. I might, you know, if this was, like, Future doing I'm Too Sexy and he had a couple of his friends on there he had young thug and like gunna or travis scott or whatever like 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 there was some fun to be had here and i see how only drake could have really done this but it's another attempt by men in hip-hop to do uh wop and it doesn't really work because they're not really willing to make fun of themselves that much or tell jokes even in you know lyrically speaking but we're talking about girls want girls which is a completely different song this is the probably the most the the only <laughs> song from certified lover boy that left any kind of lasting cultural imprint because of the said the true lesbian girl me too line which is you know mid-2000s dude bro shit that drake is sort of dredging up here in uh again thinking about the concept of that album as being sort of a male thought album and being like the problematic whatever he said on the toxic masculinity thing that he said on the on like the blurb for that album i see how this fits into that and i see how he's playing off of that but just like no one wants to (laughs) no one wants to hear that shit in 2021 like if, if if someone tells you if a girl tells you that she's a lesbian, either she is a lesbian and she wants nothing to do with you, or she's not a lesbian and she wants nothing to do with you. Like, there's no, there's nothing, <laughs> there's no, like, comeback to that that's gonna be like, oh, well, hold on a second. Like, that's, that's it. And, yeah, I mean, I don't feel the need to explain this, because I think Drake knows that, but I think he's just, like, again, sort of playing into that sound, and he thinks that it'll you know, do numbers on streaming, he's done, like, the market research or whatever, and it uh, maths out that way. It's a bad song. Also, Drake's verse is really bland. I couldn't tell you uh, a line from it. Lil Baby's verse, marginally better. Still, you know, this whole different fetishization thing about, like, you know, my girl's got a girlfriend and, you know, lavishing expensive goods on them. Yeah, just uh, a a real stinker, this one. I thought about putting TSU, which is the one with the R. Kelly sample uh, on this list as well, but I don't want to be too, like, soapboxy about it, and Girls Want Girls is a, a significantly worse song. And my number one worst song of 2021, worst hit song, that is. I'm not doing a worst songs list. Uh, but the worst hit song, it might also be the worst song. I don't see a reason not to say that, is uh, Am I the Only One by Aaron Lewis. There were a couple of sort of, like, conservative or, you know, so, sort of Trump-era Republican tracks that made their way onto the charts right now because they convinced a lot of people to buy them or uh, just, you know, got streaming numbers up at a, at a viral moment. There are actually two different songs called Let's Go Brandon that landed in the top 40 this month. Those are both really bad, but they're also, like, you know, amateurs. They're not by people who, like, know what they're doing at all. And, like, I guess relative to Am I the Only One, at least they are willing to to be like, you know, I like Trump, I don't like the Biden and the critical race theory and that shit. Like, you know, Aaron Lewis is not willing to acknowledge what he actually (laughs) believes at practically any point in this song. The few, like, let me get the lyrics up again. I don't know. It's so whiny and, like, Aaron Lewis is the guy from Stained and just, you know, for him to be taking on this like this like country edge i mean it's it, it sounds horrible this is like the quintessential butt rock vocalist and he's just stripped back everything the drums the guitars it's just him and an acoustic guitar a really flat acoustic guitar that doesn't really change throughout there's like a little bit of like strings and like oh you know swelling whatever but like even so it just makes it all the worse when he's just talking my head talking about like shaking my head thinking something ain't right 
they're taking all the good we got i'm dreaming at my tv threads of old glory coming undone the one thing he does specifically talk about the two things he does specifically talk about statues and um bruce springsteen <laughs> those are the two things he mentions are statues coming down and uh how he uh, how he can't listen to bruce springsteen anymore because bruce springsteen is a liberal which i mean it's just such a weird like stance to take <laughs> on its own just like as you're trying to be the like anti cancel culture or whatever side as you're talking about on the one hand like we can't you know you know we can't just erase the parts of our history or our culture that we don't like and then on the other hand saying uh well i like all the bruce springsteen songs but i don't anymore because he's a he voted for obama like uh, fucking <laughs> it's so dumb and and like i think even if this song had the exact opposite politics as i said this on my list and i'm sure other people said it on their list like it's the way that the message is conveyed it's the fact that he's a really shitty singer it's you know i mean there there, there's nothing else to get from the song but just this whole am i the only one mentality (laughs) this like i i don't know it's really pathetic and there's there's he plays with that pathos a little bit when he talks about his kids and how he's turning into his old man whatever but like I, yeah, it's a really odious, <laughs> and, like, I don't know, I feel like time's gonna go on, I'm gonna look back at this song, I'm gonna be like, that was one of the worst songs of my lifetime, just because, again, just that, that entitledness, and that whininess, and that l- lack of conviction about any of the things he's trying to say. And that takes us to what you haven't seen yet, assuming you're listening to this the day of, and not the next day, when my best list is already out, but that would be the best hit songs of 2021. Now, looking at that worst list, other than Justin Bieber, who was a big phenomenon that year, it's a lot of people who sort of tried and failed to uh, make an impression on the charts. Like, that's the thing, is that this was a year where a lot of newcomers could could squeak out hits because of that TikTok formula that, you know, that sort of additional push that artists have, but a lot of existing artists were sort of, they, they were waylaid by the COVID sort of memory hole, the literal cultural reset of it, where, like, they really had to work overtime to sort of push themselves out in that market, and a lot of people sort of fell flat and trying to do that i know ariana grande had a few minor hits this year she certainly did not leave that kind of like biggest star in the world impression that she has in previous years billy eilish even who was like the i mean swept the grammys two years ago is now like kind of not in the conversation she still has a lot of hits and people love her but she's you know as a follow-up to when we all fall asleep she sort of lost some traction i think uh and and even bigger examples lizzo kind of uh struggling with her single uh normani kind of struggling with her single those both did make it into the top 40 but they didn't really do the numbers that were expected of them they both featured cardi b who did have a pretty good year but even so and no cardi had a good year i'll get into that i think that cardi was really clever in well i'll get to it when i talk about her on this list uh spoilers but um yeah, you know, there, there's sort of, I mean, Lord talked about this. We, in the Solar Power episode, I mentioned this quote from Lord where she said she doesn't really know what a hit is anymore. And it's very hard to sort of, it's getting harder to reverse engineer these hits. It's really because of this seemingly organic, but also algorithm driven TikTok uh, equation. And that being really the only place that hit songs become hits at this point because the radio doesn't mean anything. You know, it, it's. It's difficult to reverse engineer, and the way that people are doing it uh, is different from what it was before, and that means that there were a lot of 
you know, lesser known artists co-mingling with like big hit makers and, you know, sort of legacy acts, but they were all sort of struggling in the same way. And there were a few massive, great rollouts and artists who stood out on top. And that's what you're going to see on this list. The first of them is uh, Pepas by Faruko, which is a, a, a one I'm a little shaky on, a one that probably could have been slotted out for Way Too Sexy or for, you know, any number of other songs that are great this year, Body by Megan Thee Stallion. Um, I ended up putting it on here. I always feel a little bit guilty that I never include, like, uh, reggaeton stuff on this list because it's so inescapable nowadays and there's so many good artists putting out good songs in that field. It's not my genre of choice so i you know i always listen to them and i'm like yeah this is good but it's not like wowing me i guess uh but i tend to look for things that do something different with the genre it's the same thing with country or metal i'm always looking for things that are a little outside of the box in terms of where i go with genres that are again outside of my wheelhouse what pepas has is like a real shitty 2011 dubstep bass drop that, that i that i'm just obsessed with like this is really i mean this is really an artifact of a moment where i was like we're gonna be back in the clubs we want to party like it's 2012 we want to i i mean the 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 so this track is about popping pills in the club and there's this like you know super whiny synth like like drop that happens and then there's like the the crowd chanting on the chorus it's like that video of like the pub singing truly madly deeply and the, like <laughs> it, it's just like so maximal and so kind of you know perfectly old school and and i don't know like it's it's I, I almost put uh, Dakiti by Bad Bunny and Jai Cortez on that slot. There were a couple other songs I was considering too, but just like, the again, just like the, the, the grandeur of this track sort of spoke to me. After that, I have Diamonds by Sam Smith. We are like three years into the Sam Smith rebrand now. I feel like I there's another example later on in this list that is an example of this, but I feel like if Sam Smith had sort of pushed their rebrand a little bit like dancing with a stranger is great and promises is great and they had great success with those songs in 2019 but i feel like they could have really made a case for like oh we gotta talk about sam smith if they had you know started to move away from that piano pop direction and more towards like disco influenced like dance tracks in 2020 and 2021 sam came out as non-binary and their music immediately got a lot better <laughs> which is often the case it's sort of an unfair advantage that we have in uh making good tunes but uh <laughs> their big hit this year is diamonds uh, a song sort of a funky kind of uh, pop dance track in the vein of charlie puth's attention attention is a longtime favorite of mine i think every <laughs> pop star especially those who are known for these sort of like puppy dog piano ballads like everyone should get their attention but uh sam smith got theirs with diamonds which is a really fun track not one of the more like prominent tracks of the year and again i think if if this was like their first foray into that like dance pop sound it would have done huge numbers but still a great track I also have Better Days by Naked with May Muller and Polo G this is a song that I don't think I actually heard on the radio or on TikTok or I I'm not really on TikTok but just in TikToks this year um and when it was just going off the name, having not listened to it yet, I kind of started to think it might be a worse list contender just because, like, there's that kind of song every year. I was talking about the songs where, like, a producer will take in someone from the sort of bench team of, of pop singers and, you know, maybe throw a rapper on there and just sort of, um, and, 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 you know, I like a lot of those songs, but I also don't like a lot of those songs. I think of, like, uh, Zed and Sieb and, I don't know, any of the other pop electronic producers who 
have put out some pretty mediocre hits in the past you know the middle or um that that one with day uh don't let me down i mean there's plenty of them but shade with trampoline but uh yeah that was sort of the angle that i thought the song was and i listened to it and it turns out it's just a fucking banger it's sort of a I, I feel like it's sort of in the vein of Say So, you know, a version of Say So without Dr. Luke, which I'm obviously in favor of. And then the Doja Cat duties are split between Mae Muller singing and Polo G rapping. Um, I like Polo G and I like to hear Polo G. Polo G is another one who could have taken that 25 spot if uh, not for Pet Boss. But um, I like to see this sort of trap adjacent rappers uh, on these sort of funky kind of disco inspired beats i think of the migos on slide or a lot of rappers on that calvin harris album um yachty on the one with kalani he also has a song with dj cassidy called honor that i think is really good um and yeah that's sort of the vein that this song fulfills for me this isn't like the most standout polo g verse but i think he you know sounds right at home over that groove i think it's a great beat and a great hook and yeah just a really good song that i hadn't heard before doing this list so there you go and you know how much new music I listen to. I do these monthly playlists and I'm always talking about it on the pod, but uh, yeah, that was one that I missed. My number 22 is Hurricane by Kanye featuring Lil Baby and The Weeknd. Not one of my favorite tracks on Donda, as you'll recall from my uh, extensive conversation on it with Brig on Pulp Friction, but uh, I did... Well, what I said on the pod is that this felt like the best version of a bad song. This was one of the songs from the Yandi sessions that had kind of leaked after Yandi got canned. Um, and, you know, I wasn't really impressed by any of those. The sort of lo-fi, like, tinny production, everything felt very unfinished. And uh, the ideas in there were largely not interesting to me either. It was a lot of, I mean... There's something that we talk about on the album too. Other songs like Off the Grid or Remote Control, where like it's not really clear what the idea is, or Junior also just like, you know, okay, you're off the grid. Okay, you got it on remote control. What does that mean? With Hurricane, this is obviously a song that got workshopped a lot. There are a lot of different versions that had a lot of different rappers doing verses on it, and, uh, you know, you can find a lot of those online. So, I mean, I just listened to this song, and the first thing I think, you can see, like, how much thought is put into everything they end up doing with it. You know, they've changed the lyrics of the chorus they've made them very i mean they've you know brought some of that gospel stuff in it but just made it feel very big see this in 3d you know lightning strikes the beach uh i can walk on water just i mean i mean the weekend is the perfect voice to sort of carry some weight with that sound the weekend was one of the artists who had a huge year this year i guess he's the biggest star in the world you know he sort of snuck in because after hours were so big last year we'll get into the weekend i mean what i like about this song and some of the other tracks on donda it's something that's kind of been missing from kanye's catalog in the past five years or so is is maximalism and with this song there's you know this cinematic sort of synths over the hook and everything's like and then you know there's those like real punchy like yeezusy you know in your face distorted sounds coming in at the end and then the like stark choir that's like in and out don't let me drown and then yeah and i mean the you know on the verses it's doing more of a drill kind of sound which is another sound that kanye explored on this album that i thought was pretty interesting but the i don't know the appeal of it really for the most part is just that like it's that maximalism it's those you know big sounds that are in play there and also Lil baby's verse is really good really resonant Lil baby had a ton of great verses this year and this might be one one of the more memorable ones, just all that stuff about losing a friend and um, drinking so much your stomach hurts. And just, I don't know, there's there's so many lines from that verse that stuck with me. The Kanye verse is not great. It's certainly not one of the better Kanye verses from this album. This is a mm-mm-mm-mm-mm verse. But uh, 
yeah, it's fine. It, do- it doesn't detract from the song at all either. I just think that like, again, this is probably one of the weaker songs on Donda for me, but like so much is being put into it and like, you know, it just feels so big. And that's something that always excites me about Kanye's music is when it feels really big. So yeah. I mean, I guess to comment on the Kanye Drake stuff, it definitely feels like Kanye kind of won at the end of the day. I mean, you know, they've obviously squashed the beef and they're like, you know, moved beyond it or claimed to have moved beyond it. But I don't know. It's something that's clearly been eating at Kanye so much over the years and has so informed so many of his decisions over the past five years. Um, you know, obviously, I personally liked Donda more. That was clear from the two episodes back to back, you know, from when those albums actually came out. But like, looking back on it, I feel like Certified Lover Boy is another Drake album and um, I guess an improvement over his last few but like very little resonance outside of Way Too Sexy and the criticism of Girls Want Girls. I feel like most people probably couldn't name another song from that album uh, and, and the Kanye album was certainly not as impactful as some of his other albums have been but it, it managed to have singles and an impact in a way that was not expected from a Kanye album at all at this point in his career. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's sort of won Kanye back a little bit of favor. There's a certain crowd that's just, like, done with Kanye, and that's always going to be the case. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I think he, he did win over some people with the rollout of this album, even, you know, attaching Drake to that uh, concert for Larry Hoover, which is has been his pet cause, again, for a lot of this time, um, and doing, you know, hit after hit after hit, and then having Drake come out and just play the new shit. Like... <laughs> Funny stuff, but uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like Kanye came out on top at the end of that. But you know, they're both on top, and they're both struggling in a lot of ways. Also, I have "Leave Before You Love Me" by Marshmello and the Jonas Brothers at number twenty-one. That is a track that I could honestly see looking better uh, as time goes by. You know, it's something another song that I don't think I ever heard on the radio, or if I did, only once or twice. I don't think I'd listened to it since it came out. I don't even think it made my like new music playlist for that for the month that it came out. Maybe it did though. I just like as I was making this list, and you know, a lot of this '80s revival stuff I've said has been kind of hollow to me. But like, I feel like the Jonas Brothers really found a niche in there, just because there is a certain a certain I, I guess wistfulness that can be conveyed in, in in both Nick and Joe's voices and their sort of harmonies together. It just you know. It's something that the Jonas Brothers have done well, you know, since back in the day, but I also just feel like over this sort of, sort of 80s uh, groove, it, it, it kind of, it, it all gels in a way that, you know, really means something to me in the same way that Circles did for Post Malone or uh, Style did for Taylor Swift. It's looking way back, just like, you know, in terms of songs that sort of play into this 80s vibe, I feel like this is one of the more successful ones that came out this year. And Marshmallow is a very hit or miss producer, but I find that he's best when he like sinks into the background, lets the artist speak for themselves. And he definitely does that on this track. Obviously a lot of the like novelty of that Jonas Brothers reunion has been, has been diminished over time because now they're just around and uh, they put out a lot of stuff that wasn't very good, but this is one of their best, I think. My number 20 is What's Your Name by Tyler, the Creator, featuring NBA Youngboy and Ty Dolla Sign. As was the case with Hurricane, I'm sort of beholden to the song that ended up being a hit. This is not one of my top five songs on, um, God, what's this album called? Call Me If You Get Lost. Uh, certainly it might not even be top 10, and there's like 16 or some uh, tracks on this record, but, uh... 
I don't know. There's a lot to be said about it, though, because it's sort of describing... It's short, but it's describing that sensation of, like, that love at first sight sensation, or what feels like love at first sight, where you see someone across the room, you decide to pursue a stranger who you think is beautiful, and who you, you know, in that moment is the only thing that matters to you. And so for these two minutes, we're taken on such a, you know, sprawling journey that's like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take you to France, we're gonna, you know, buy expensive cars and all this, and just, like, at the end of the day, he doesn't even learn this girl's name, you know? I think there's such a great, like, narrative structure to the song. It's also got great production, obviously. I love to hear Young Boy on this on this track. Like, I've kind of appreciated Young Boy this whole time, but I feel like I can't necessarily get it. Like, like when he's when he's done so many of the same song, I, I don't know. I feel like I need to hear him on something different, and I feel like Tyler really brought out what I like about Young Boy in terms of that soulfulness and that sort of uh, melodic like character he can bring to his verses. My number 19 is Skate by Silk Sonic, and those who know me probably know that this is not the only Silk Sonic appearance on this list, uh, but this was their most like upbeat uh, track of the singles that they put out from this record, and obviously I am all about this shit. I love Bruno Mars, I love Anderson Pack. I think they are brilliant, and this is a perfect song. <laughs> like it, Again, it's not even my favorite from this album, but just like, you know so fun so just like everything's everything's so high level in terms of just like the coordination and the instrumentation the strings and the drums and the vocals just i don't know man it's so good <laughs> bruno mars is so good we're gonna talk about it uh later but yeah next is thought shit by megan the stallion uh this is my, this is sort of just, I get the same way that Maroon 5 is sort of a legacy entry on the worst list. This is like, this is just a spot for Megan the Stallion and the, the amount of work that she's put in in these last couple of years, the amount, the, the sheer number of these great <laughs> fucking flossy, like, you know, in your face, horny bangers <laughs> that she's done in the past two years and this is probably one of my favorites there's so many great lines uh on here that i talk about in the article but um yeah i mean part of it's just like you know you gotta hand it to megan i again came very close to putting body on this list as well thought shit kind of does more for me i love the the just the schadenfreude of this video where she's just torturing this senator guy it's it's like a commentary on you know the wap controversy obviously but i just great stuff and megan obviously is you know one of the big stars today. Megan is someone who weathered the pandemic exceptionally well. I think that's because she had, like, the only song people cared about last year, which was WAP. And so, like, you know, coming out of the pandemic, if there was one thing that no one had any questions about, it's that Megan the Stallion is a star. So, yeah, she's she's good to go. And she I hope she keeps making these forever because they're amazing and I love her. Next up is Beggin' by Monaskin. This is another song, this is a song that, you know, I was sort of throwing around the list a lot. At one point it was like really high, like 7. It was 14 at one point, it was 11 at one point. It ended up down at 17. Uh, could end up higher. I, you know, I feel like I like this song a lot, but more so I like the presence of a band like Monaskin in popular music. I like that, you know, people are actually talking about Monaskin. This song did not just like show up for a brief period and then fall again. This was like a continued 
success. And yeah, you know, Monoskin is another act that got big off of Eurovision. I think they more so than Duncan Lawrence were like, you know, won Eurovision during a pandemic. And then everyone was like, okay, let's listen to Monoskin. But uh, this 2017 cover of a song by the Four Seasons, it, it's, it, I mean, it's so fun. And I love this, this glammy kind of energy that they bring to it. This sort of madcaps, like sort of a Rolling Stones bluesiness almost, but it's, it, it's so fun and it's, it's catchy and it's just great shit. I guess part of the excitement around Monoskin comes from the idea that like, you know, guitar music has come back in a big way this year. That's probably been one of the most significant trends in pop music this year is that, you know, Billie Eilish and uh, Olivia Rodrigo being the big hit this year, Willow and just, you know, people are... I mean, also this 80s revival is sort of bringing that back too. The weekend and Justin Bieber, everyone's, you know, electric guitar is coming back into the fold. And if you look at the 2010s, the, it's, there are practically zero hit songs that actually have an electric guitar in them. I mean, X's and O's is one example that I think of. But like, after that, like sudden downfall of pop punk, like right at the outset of the 10s, I guess, you know, Fall Out Boy had, um, I guess my songs know what you did in the dark has guitar in it. But you know, there's practically, I, I mean, from X's and O's to to this year or last year nothing with an electric guitar on it and now those things are everywhere so i feel like the fact that monoskin had this really big success this really like lasting success makes people think that it's possible that guitars are coming back that, that not just the guitars are coming back but that bands could be coming back and you know everyone in adam levine has lamented that like there are aren't really any big bands and if you look i think the biggest most successful rock band of the 2010s was uh 21 pilots with <laughs> with imagine dragons uh close behind but you know like in terms of and neither of them has had a hit in a long time so in, in terms of like actual bands who are being successful adam levine is right that it's really like maroon 5 and pretty much no one else but now here's monoskin and i i think if monoskin put out something new there's a decent chance that they could you know have continued success if that audience sticks around with them if they continue to have this tiktok success that they've been having up until now i think it's entirely possible and maybe they've actually opened a back channel. I hate that I'm still, you know, sorry to still be talking about Monoskin. I've been talking for so long, but like maybe they've opened this back channel through Eurovision where like international bands can see continued success in the U.S. through like what they bring to your, I mean, not that they necessarily care about having success in the U.S., but I'm just thinking about like in the way of bands becoming successful in the U.S., I think Eurovision could be a piece of that. And of course, TikTok could be a part of that. That's how Glass Animals had a hit this year, too. Not that there's any, you know, guitars involved there, but yeah. It's sort of funny to think, I mean, it makes sense, but it's sort of funny to think that I'm going back to, I'm sorry to <laughs> be going on all these tangents. It's sort of funny to think that, like, the only thing that really is tethering Adam Levine to continuing to make music is this abstract regard for bands you know like he doesn't even care about his band he doesn't even care about like the kind of music he makes or wanting to i mean if he was making rock music and he wanted to you know keep rock alive then sure but he just like j just the idea of a band is the only thing that's keeping him going it'd be interesting if bands were a thing again but like is happier than ever ever something that a band something less than what a band could do i don't know my number 16 is Levitating by Dua Lipa, which I think was pretty high on last year's list. It might not have been the top. I think Love Again was probably the top Dua Lipa song, but whatever. 
this was the Dua Lipa hit this year, and it was such a hit that it was actually on the charts for a year straight. Um, so I felt like I needed to leave a spot open for it. Future Nostalgia, I've sung its praises so many times. It remains my favorite album of 2020. Uh, could still be my favorite album of the decade so far. I'm not positive about that, but um, yeah, it's an incredible album. Levitating is an incredible song. The DaBaby remix, which is part of what helped to get to this point, is fine. I don't think DaBaby necessarily elevates the song, but I do think he, you know, again, I like to hear... I like to hear rappers over these like um, sort of sort of groovy instrumentals, and um, I think the baby fits right in there with his sort of bombast and his like you know jittery kind of flow that he has. You know, I like that all works. But yeah, basically, it's just it's just levitating the song itself that is like it, it's perfect. There's there's nothing more to say. Number fifteen, driver's license, Olivia Rodrigo. That was once, uh, you know, as you can probably imagine, that was once higher up. There are a few Olivia Rodrigo songs on this list. But driver's license is really just like, I mean, you can see how this was the moment where it's like, oh yeah, Olivia Rodrigo, this is what we're talking about now. I mean, it's crazy that like, not even the narrative, not even the TikTok success, but just like driver's license came out and it was, everyone was suddenly talking about it. And it, you know, I think part of that is organic. Obviously she has Disney behind her in a way. And that, you know, certainly I think plays into some of the clever marketing stuff that she does. But um, really at the core of it, it's just like, this is, you know, the reveal of Olivia Rodrigo. And it, it's so powerful, I think, because, and this is something that Olivia Rodrigo does in a lot of ways, it plays to teens, but it also plays to adults who are nostalgic for when they were teens. So in this case, this is a song about getting a driver's license, and I think it's really effective in sort of conveying how big it felt, that like, like how getting a driver's license felt like this life-changing thing before you had it. And so it sets that stage for being a teenage heartbreak song that feels like the world is ending because, you know, so much changes when you get that driver's license. I also think there are obviously songs on Sour that play right into that pop-punk bag. I don't think this, obviously this isn't a pop-punk song, but it kind of is. You know, like, like even though it's melodically just like simple pianos and sort of cinematic like harmonies and and build-ups and that sort of thing like like you can imagine this as a pop punk song and i think it sort of has that like structure of a pop punk song where it's like it's built around this image of the driver's license the single event in one's life and sort of exploring heartbreak through that lens i mean you i see that i hear this and i hear ocean avenue you know and i think that i mean obviously this sort of cadence and this sort of accent that a lot of these pop stars have been doing for the past decade part of that does come from the pop punk 90s you know emo boy voice and yeah I, I think that Olivia Rodrigo I mean she's proven she can do pop punk really well I feel like this song works as a pop punk song and I think that is part of the appeal of it is that it has that pop punk structure to it which is sort of nostalgic for this turn of the millennium stuff and is not something you hear that often in today's pop music the next one is that's what I want by Lil Nas X the star of the year is probably Olivia Rodrigo. The album, the pop album of the year is probably Sour, but the two stars of the year are Olivia Rodrigo and Lil Nas X. I mean, like, I think this Lil Nas X rollout has been, I mean, really this entire rollout going all the way back to Old Town Road has been, like, one of the most brilliant, like, reveals of a pop star of all time. You know, I I think he was so clever to, you you know, to have this build up to this debut album, and obviously the moment where he came out, I don't think that was intended as part of the rollout. It felt very organic, but, like, to, to have this be sort of the coming out album... And to 
be holding off until you can do the coming out album. And so, you know, he had this whole catalog of novelty pop songs that people liked, but then, you know, all of a sudden he's got these, the same brilliant hooks and the same, like, really resonant, deep voice, but also he's making these super meaningful songs about his love life and about being in the closet and that sort of thing. And, like, that's what I want is, like, the platonic ideal of the car commercial song. It's, you know, Ryan Tedder helped write it, but like part of it is Nas's voice and part of it is that like like that that Omer Fetty guitar that's all over this album but part of it is just like it's so personal and so real and it's also an incredible pop song that uh, is that that is so catchy as well this was one of my favorites from Montero the album and another one from that album will be showing up later on but just like i i mean it it, it feels like turn of the tens in a way it feels like Owl City it feels like One Republic at that time but in a way it really feels like early Bruno Mars because it's just like everything you know even before Bruno Mars was having these you know string sections and all this music like everything was so was so high level and like so, you know such these perfect hooks but there's kind of a cinematic sort of undertone to them and just I don't know like this is this is a great fucking pop song and most of the stuff on this album is a little more um you know in terms of sound it's sort of playing with something a little more specific and there are more hip-hop leaning tracks and more sort of rock leaning tracks but there's sort of this unique mesh that Nas creates but this is really the most like pop pop song that's on there but it's so perfectly done Next on the list is Have Mercy by Chloe, uh, the solo debut by Chloe Bailey of Chloe and Hallie. You know, this, this like, utopian Chloe and Hallie future has been promised to us for, for such a long time, really since their debut in 2016, and everyone's been talking about them. They're so good. Their Beyonce's protégés are going to be the next huge thing, really. And, and throughout these last couple years, they obviously had hits last year. They had a great album last year. Um, but it seems like in this moment where we're starting to see them individually, Chloe with the single, Hallie doing Little Mermaid next year, like, this is the moment where it's like, holy shit. Because, you know, when they're I, I mean, when they're together and when they were young, I guess it was just like, you know, Beyonce stamp of approval. You can't necessarily judge them on their own, but also with the fact that they were a duo and they were sort of performing as a duo, that was like a unique thing about them. But like, it, it's hard to have like that level of star power of like a Beyonce when you're two people in an act. And, uh, you know, as soon as you put Chloe on her own, as soon as you put Hallie on her own, it's clear that like these are the ones. And maybe it is still, you know, the quality that comes from having that Beyonce cosign that puts this over the top maybe it's like the nintendo seal of quality you know that just like she can get the best producers she can get the best writers she can you know put together the best r&b tracks that feel as big and (laughs) and and you know confident and just that right mix of like uh of confidence but also kind of silliness kind of having fun with it you know i just like there are a lot of amazing r&b singles this year and there were a lot that uh, we're sort of trying to make an impression with a new artist on the on, on the charts. I talked earlier about how Lizzo and Normani both sort of didn't get the results that they were hoping for with the singles that they put out with Cardi, and I think those are sort of in the same vein as this Chloe song, but this Chloe song really does it because, I mean, Lizzo and Normani are amazing, but just, you know, this is a... We know Normani's amazing. We know Lizzo's amazing. This is... I mean, even though Chloe's been around for years, this is kind of our first taste of Chloe, and she's she's great. Next up is Brutal by Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, Brutal was initially a little lower on the list. I think that as I was writing my entry on Brutal, I realized that it was just like 
the most resonant, I guess, lyrically resonant track on Sour. It's obviously the intro, but I feel like even though, you know, there are a lot of like piano and acoustic guitar driven ballads on that album, there are a lot of slower songs. There's, you know, some of the pop punk influences too, but I feel like Brutal, which is the biggest like, you know, punch to the face track, it just sort of lays out what emotions are at play in this album. And I think it has some of the most resonant lyrics that come up uh, on the whole record. I mean, just that, like, that that frustrated sigh that, like, God, it's brutal out here. <laughs> you know, just is, she's throwing all this at you where, like, she's a teen and she's a celebrity and she just had a breakup and everyone expects the world from her and she is not satisfied by anything and she feels underappreciated. She's insecure. Um, the line about how she thinks she'll die before she drinks. Like, the um, who am I if not exploited? I I mean there's so many just like crazy memorable lines on this one record that's like the intro track to the album and just like i i, I don't know like <laughs> it's a great record obviously there's so many great tracks throughout this album but i feel like brutal is really just i don't know in terms of like the the energy of this album this is just like the centerpiece this is like if, if i'm talking about what's so great about sour i'm just i'm just showing you brutal number 11 save your tears the weekend featuring Ariana Grande. Uh, the original version of Save Your Tears, I guess, would count to this as well, but the Ariana Grande version is the one that hit number one, and I believe the one that was featured on end-of-the-year lists, uh, on Billboard's end-of-the-year list. Uh, and uh, does it make a huge difference when Ariana's on there? I'm not sure, but I just feel like this sort of wistful... I mean, the yeah, yeah, the wistfulness of this track, like like Ariana's sort of dreamy vocals, really fit it very nicely. I, you know, the weekend is the biggest star in the world. That, that that's something that we sort of have to reckon with is the fact that in the past year and a half he has sort of snuck under the radar by having the biggest album of his career during the pandemic but now we're on the other end last month billboard crowned uh blinding lights the new biggest song of all time so like we gotta admit it the weekend is what we got and i think part of what sets him apart from a lot of his peers is this sense of cinema that he has and this you know thought towards eras and um narratives that uh you know, come out in visuals and come out in the albums themselves. And I feel like his, I mean, his voice is so great and he's great at like lending like some serious emotional weight to everything that he puts out there. And, you know, when, when he does this eighties revival stuff and he's obviously a big part of the reason that everyone else is trying to do it, but he, you know, because his stuff feels so devastating, that's like what brings it all together. You know, the thing with stay is that it's, they're just kind of being silly with it. It doesn't feel like they are, I mean, even to the extent that it's kind of a desperate song, the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber are not, like, desperate on it. The weekend can convey desperation, even on something as, like, laid back and mournful and really hopeful as Save Your Tears. Uh, there's still this sense of, like, you know, weight and consequences to everything, uh, especially on After Hours, which... In terms of things I regret from last year's list, I would probably move After Hours up. I think my five from that list is still pretty much set, but After Hours would be very, very close to it. Um, and yeah, you know, I think this was the After Hours track that was a hit this year, and uh, well, Blinding Lights was still big, I'm sure. Biggest song of all time. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this is one of my favorite songs on that album, too. I like that. I mean, this is really the love song. This is really sort of the glimmer of hope in... Uh, in an otherwise pretty dark album but uh again just kind of it's sort of coming from this perspective of like a, a weathered and beaten down sort of protagonist and the weekend conveys that really well and again ariana's voice really suits that energy my number 10 is Therefore I Am by Billie Eilish. This is something that I went back and forth. I'm still really going back and forth on how high this track should be, because in a way it is my favorite 
Billie Eilish song, I think. It's the most accessible one. It's the least, like, you know, innovative and crazy and, you know, avant-garde of, of out of her discography so far. But I feel like it really distills what I love about her um because it's not it, it doesn't lean towards like horror core elements but it's scary in the way that teenagers are scary i think i say this verbatim in the article but just like you know she's <laughs> she's so confident and she like knows something you don't and she'll laugh at you about it and that, like i i just feel like i love that confidence you know you know confident women are all over this list but i feel like billy really is having so much fun with this track it's a great hook it's a really fucking catchy hook one of the catchiest of the year but just like you think that you're the man i think therefore i am like like i said it's that idea that like not only is she bullying you the listener but she like knows something that you don't and you can't get on her level i just i just feel like she's doing something so unique with that and um yeah just i adore that song my number nine is Up by Cardi B. And this is something that I was starting to allude to earlier, this idea that I think Cardi has had one of the more successful sort of approaches to releasing music during the pandemic. And, you know, I think there was kind of a Cardi backlash brewing looking at 2018, 2019 after Invasion of Privacy. I feel like people look back on that and they weren't sure how they felt about it. And there were, you know, occasional controversies coming up with Cardi, but she was starting to get involved in the election and she was showing up in movies. And, you know, I, I think people were ready to be sick of her. What she did during the pandemic is she released one song. And it was WAP, and it was the biggest thing in the world. Again, the only song people cared about. So she, like, made a huge impression off of that, and that came to be associated with Megan a little more, I feel like, but it still, you know, put her in good company, put her in a good place as she released her one solo single, I think, of the pandemic so far, which is Up. And that song is annoying in a very precisely engineered way. It, it's like, I, I I mean, I think it's great, but, you know, it, it's a sheer force of personality, and it's something that's very much like only Cardi B could make this song. And I feel like something that's something that's missing, even just looking at uh, Invasion of Privacy and the tracks on that album. I think a lot of the issue with that album is that as much as she's playing with different genres and she's showcasing her personality, none of the songs feel distinctly her enough for me to be like this this is cardi b this is the moment of cardi b i do think that album's really good but uh bodak yellow and i don't know the be careful and the song with chance and the song you, you know all the all the different tracks on that album it just sort of feels like she's slotting into different spaces that already exist in the industry rather than doing something that's distinctly her up is very much distinctly her and it's also like a hit that's designed for TikTok, but a hit that would also play in the clubs. It's got that I know that's right line. It's got a lot of like crowd pleasing moments, but also, you know, it, it it feels very precisely engineered in that we didn't know if we'd be going back to the club or if we'd still be looking at social media this year. And it works perfectly in both of those fields. And it's a really fun and catchy tune. Again, annoying in the best way. My number eight is Family Ties by Baby Keem and Kendrick Lamar. It has been a slow couple fucking years for Kendrick Lamar fans. He did Damn in 2017. Well, hold on. He did uh, Pimp a Butterfly in 2015, Untitled Unmastered in 2016, Damn in 2017, 
Black Panther album in 2018. Just like a, a real fucking workhorse run, very present at the peak of culture. And then in 2019 and 2020, he released two verses in as many years. <laughs> he had the verse on the Sir album in 2019, the verse on the Buster Rhymes album in 2020. And other than that, we did not hear from him at all. And speculations run wild about what he was, what he's been doing this whole time. I definitely, like, you look at the festivals he was scheduled to headline in 2020, and I definitely think that he had planned to release an album in that point and then scrapped it for something having to do with the pandemic or maybe he just wasn't feeling it felt there was you know something new that he had to say in the wake of this or was just waiting for touring as many artists have been i think for a lot of this part of the plan has been that his comeback was going to be on the baby keem album so his first like the first presence of kendrick where it wasn't just a verse it was him doing the video it was him you know doing the promo and like this is the return of kendrick lamar was this song family ties and he came through i mean with exactly the energy that he needed to give for someone who's been gone for four years he said i am the omega you know, I'm smoking on your, he didn't say I'm top five. He said, I'm smoking on your top five. And I feel like when you, when you look at the field right now, the people who are getting a little too comfortable, Kendrick needed to like, just jump right above them. And he did exactly that with, uh, with this verse, which is so crazy. So off the wall, a dozen different flows. And you know, who went platinum? I call that a visitor, you know, crazy, crazy bars and really like aggressive getting into this, like, getting into like a like like a west coast energy that like is something we haven't quite heard from Kendrick up to this point if this is if if he's going to go YG on this album like that's a fucking that's a vibe uh but there's also a baby keem part on this song i love baby keem i think baby keem was one of the most interesting debuts of this year his album is great and um he also really holds his own on a song with Kendrick he's not trying to come to Kendrick's level lyrically he's he's you know a- aware of his own strengths i think in a really palpable way his his energy is there his voice is so striking and he has this sense of humor that's so great about him that he and Kendrick can sort of bounce off of each other with that and so yeah just like really exciting shit and that's I want the new Kendrick release to be exciting my number seven and this is another one that moved around I moved around the best list more than the worst list uh is bad boy by juice world and young thug I think because I put a posthumous juice world release on the worst list largely for it being a posthumous juice world release i was like maybe i should you know damp it downplay the bad boy even though i knew that i loved that song even though that it was one of the songs that got uh stuck in my head the most this year you know there was a little bit of like i just went on my soapbox about the posthumous releases and i'm putting it on here i think the difference with bad boy first of all is that like juice not only finished the song before he died but he recorded the video with young thug before before he died this was the last collaboration that was made uh with cole bennett and juice world and uh you know i i mean that sort of settles my issues in terms of like the 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 grave robbing aspect of it but um this is exactly the kind of shit i always love from juice world this like really distorted aggressive punky like you know hip-hop bangers with uh i love the way that he works off of young thug i've always loved that but like he he could tag team with a lot of people he's you know he's he's obviously a great rapper and he's bringing he's bringing that energy but he also and he's so great in that emo rap scene he brought something clearly so resonant to that but i think a big part of what that was was his ability to make hooks and to pull hooks out of unexpected places so this song you know it's kind of a simple hook it's you know will smith and martin lawrence i'm a bad boy there's not too much like tunefulness to it and yet it's again probably the song that's gotten stuck in my head the most this year i don't know what it is it could be juice world's voice it could be i mean this 
this really stark, aggressive production that is like unlike anything else I've heard, and I'm sure that was part of what stuck w- uh, with me about it. Maybe it's the way that he plays off of Young Thug on the chorus, but yeah, I mean, I really can't deny how resonant this song was for me on some level this year, so I, I have to put it on here, and I do love it a lot. I think Thug is so great on this. I think Juice World is great on this. It's phenomenal. I'm in the top 10, by the way. My number six is Moth to a Flame by Swedish House Mafia featuring The Weeknd. Uh, I tend to be pretty good at predicting when artists are going to come back. I remember uh, predicting at the onset of 2015 that Erica Badu was going to release something, uh, Earl Sweatshirt in whatever year that was, 2018. I, I, I think that I just, I have a grasp on release schedules and the industry and things like that. I know how to sort of read the tea leaves of the industry to know when... Uh, something is brewing with an artist uh and i could give some predictions for this year maybe i'd think that fallout boy and my chemical romance and panic at the disco are all on the table the most likely is probably panic at the disco because i believe we've heard confirmation that that album is being worked on but i i on some level i feel like fallout boy is definitely gonna release something but um and there's more to that as well i did not predict at all that swedish house mafia was gonna come back in 2021 i mean i was like 12 or 13 when they broke up at the at the height of their powers so i was really not aware of their impact i wasn't in a place to necessarily understand the subtleties of electronic production but now as a 20 something i'm in exactly the right place and as someone who had dated an electronic producer who has become involved in electronic production i was in exactly the right place to uh be blown away by their return and this track with the weekend i mean the weekend is great at making songs feel huge and swedish house mafia is great at making songs sound huge so you put that together and it's just like oh my god it's so big uh so cinematic and you know meaningful and all that and just like this is you know this is such a great spot to put the weekend into hearing the weekend over electronic production almost feels nostalgic at this point because he's become so synonymous with this 80s revival stuff even though that's really only happened in the past like year and a half but like I don't know, man. I like, I'm all in on Swedish House Mafia right now. I hope that they continue to be massively successful. And this song was pretty successful. It wasn't like a number one hit or anything, but like, you know, watch out for Swedish House Mafia. That's all I'm going to say. My number five, and this might come as a surprise at this point, is Deja Vu by Olivia Rodrigo. Of course, you know, Brutal is more striking and, uh, you know, Driver's License was obviously such a big deal and was so resonant, but I feel like what I like about Deja Vu, and it's something that I've sort of come around on over time, is that, you know, the pop punk stuff is like a costume, you know, it's... It's a clever marketing thing, as I said before, but like it, it's something that she's sort of putting on and something that a lot of people are putting on, which I think is maybe what I don't like about this 80s revival stuff is that a lot of people seem to just be doing it because they think it's going to sell right now. And I don't necessarily think that's entirely what Olivia Rodrigo is doing with the pop punk stuff on Sour, but like it, it is there. there's a layer of uh artificiality to it just because it's it's so clearly influenced by or, or, you know so clearly taking influence by uh things from the past but which all things do i shouldn't say that but it's a costume basically i think the thing with deja vu is that it feels like this is really olivia rodrigo and some people thought this some people were lukewarm on this song i like this song a lot i like how personal it feels and how kind of weird it is i like this sort of fairy tale feel that it has i like that it's not 
perfectly polished like it you know that there, there are some like edges to it i love this weird like radio head distortion stuff that happens after that first drop um and that comes back at the end i love how she's so worked up about uptown girl for some reason like that, that that shit's so silly but i love it just because you can't make that shit up you know that's really what it was about and i guess in contrast to like abcdefu or you broke me first from the worst list like this really feels like this is olivia rodrigo and i'm just you know i look at sour and there's a lot of things that i can't necessarily pull forward to say this is what olivia rodrigo is going to be this is why i should be excited for olivia rodrigo because again she's putting on this pop punk costume she's doing a lot of ballads and like piano and you know stripped back stuff and like her her lyrics are there her vocals are there but like the personality of olivia rodrigo really comes through in deja vu and it's another like one of the songs that's been you know just a little do you get deja vu like like that's you know that's just one of the things that's been in my head a lot this year my number four again another one that moved around a lot is happier than ever by billy eilish as i said uh therefore i am is kind of my favorite billy eilish song but the as i was writing about happier than ever i just couldn't help but feel that like tremendousness of it <laughs> just in terms of how like again you know prior to a year and a half ago it would have been unheard of for a song so built around guitar to be on the charts even but for a song like this that starts out so distorted and like kind of novelty-ish with this like you know filtered through an old radio thing and then have like a moment after that first half there's like half a minute of you know just billy and an electric guitar and it's like this feels like a, a song you'd hear on the radio and then it just goes fucking haywire into this distorted like cacophony shit and it, it like i mean no one but billy eilish could make that song work and get that song as high up on the charts as it is but the thing is that it still works as a pop song and that's what you broke me first is really missing is that like when billy eilish does you know distorted shit and like plays with expectations and does the, the these like opuses that are so uh removed from our idea of a radio hit it's a radio hit. Like you listen to it and you're like, this is, uh, <laughs> this is a banger. This is something that plays on the radio. And maybe, I, I don't know, maybe like it's artists like Billie Eilish who are sort of creating that confusion maybe about what makes a hit because she can make anything feel like a hit. And uh, Bad Guy was a perfect example of that, but happier than ever. I struggle to think of, I mean, I love songs like these that, that, that have these movements to them and are so, you know, these sort of cinematic songs the uh andrew wk album is something that i might be talking about on as i get into album of the year stuff but like this also is a great piece of pop music and i think it's so rare to combine those things the way that billy does like i mean it's it, it blows me away my number three this is one that I'm sure everyone expected to be on here. Call Me By Your Name by Lil Nas X. Talking about how brilliant this album rollout has been, Lil Nas X has been teasing, had been teasing Call Me By Your Name for like a year before it came out. He was putting them, putting it in all his TikToks. He did a Super Bowl commercial that had the song in it and he didn't put the song out. So me and a lot of other people, we were like on the edge of our seats for this song. And then for it to come out and, you know, not only deliver on everything we wanted for and have this great hook that we were, were hearing in these TikToks and we're like, we want to hear this, we want to jam to this, but also like, I mean, first of all, to have this 
the the best music video in recent memory <laughs> and just like to be so meaningful on top of that this was our, our like our first taste i think and that was something that i was kind of worried about as lil nas x was starting to do this album rollout like maybe the sort of novelty nonsense stuff of like old town road and holiday and a lot of the stuff on the ep like he wasn't gonna get there lyrically and it was gonna be more of the same from him but like the writing is so personal and so real on this track and on so many other songs of this album and this was really our first taste of that this was the moment where it's like not only is Lil Nas X does Lil Nas X have a have an amazing voice and this like brilliant ear for like pop earworms but he's the best pop star we have he's the best male pop star maybe of all time like 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 he's as we're looking at the great pop stars you know 30 years from now are we not gonna say Lil Nas X is one of the best to ever do it I mean like you know you, you think of women in pop music like I, I can't think of anyone who I would put on the level of of a Lady Gaga or uh, Madonna other than Lil Nas X and maybe a couple others maybe someone who we'll get into in a second but like you know he's he's got everything he's got the visuals he's got the eras he's got the costumes and the person the, the amazing force of personality and he's also a great pop singer a great songwriter a, a pretty solid rapper like he, he's just he's got it all and it's all in call me by your name which i think is still my favorite song on that album like it's incredible my number two is in a way the oldest song on this list it is all too well by taylor swift specifically the version the 10 minute version taken from her new album red taylor's version obviously she's had this thing about releasing all her albums i think this was such a brilliant moment to do red though because red has had such this dramatic reappraisal where at the time it was like at the time it was like yeah that's good and then now as people were reflecting on the decade they were starting to be like this is the best pop album of the decade this is one of the best albums of the decade this is the best album taylor's ever made and such a focal point of that was all too well which is a lot of people's favorite taylor swift song might be my favorite taylor swift song at this point i don't like red i didn't the the new version of red didn't really sway me that much on it i don't think it's her best album but um all too well both the original the original and especially this new 10 minute version is just such a a masterpiece of like pop songwriting you know taylor swift has had obviously a very varied discography i don't think anyone is in has too many illusions about that like she's had her ups and downs but she's always every couple of years she'll put out something like this to remind us that she is one of the great voices in pop music today one of the great voices in pop music period one of the greatest living songwriters maybe and all too well the 10 minute version is exactly that it is you you think of a song like this uh, you know heartbreak ballad from taylor swift and it, it feels impossible to conceive that this could this could sustain 10 minutes of, of of audio it doesn't i mean it builds and it has peaks and valleys and stuff but it really stays at the same like frequency really for the whole time but it's so brilliantly written and so engagingly composed that like it never loses you i could listen to this any time of day any day sometimes it's really meaningful to me sometimes it might make me cry sometimes i just like the song and i want to listen to it and it's 10 minutes long i like i can think of many 10 minute plus songs songs that I think are great or that I think are some of my favorite stuff but I can't think of a single 10 minute song I have ever heard that I am as willing to listen to at the drop of a hat as all too well Taylor's version and so I, I mean just that in itself is so impressive but it's like a, a, a masterful composition there's no notes my number one song of the year 
is not the the thing I just gushed about. It is Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. I am I have become such a huge Bruno Mars fan in the post Uptown Funk era. Uptown Funk is one of my favorite songs. Uh, you know, I was so blown away by it, and I, I already had an excitement for Bruno Mars, but he had had such a hit or miss catalog up to that point that I wasn't all in on him. But by the time you get to the Twenty Four Karat Magic era, I was definitely at that point. And Twenty Four Karat Magic, I think, has only aged well. I remember where I was, like, you know, a year and a half after its release when it won Album of the Year over like Kendrick and Jay and um, Childish Gambino and Lord. And you know, people were upset about that. They were like, obviously, this should be Lord, or you know, obviously, I, I mean, the Jay. The album was incredible. That Kendrick album won a fucking uh, Pulitzer Prize. But the thing is, and I don't want to discount any of those other albums because I love those albums. But Twenty Four Karat Magic is a perfect album. <laughs> like, like it, it's flawless, and it's it's you know it, in nine tracks it does so much. And like the thing with Bruno Mars, in addition to being a great pop songwriter, having an incredible voice, and being this amazing multi hyphenate talent, uh, you know, obviously he does these pastiches of you know seventies, eighties, fifties, nineties, whatever, like different eras in music, particularly in R and B. But I don't think the appeal of Bruno Mars is just that he's a copycat. I think maybe it was in the unorthodox jukebox era. But I think today, as he's found this this space, this swagger, this post-uptown funkness where he is bringing that energy to really everything he releases, I feel like he the, like this just is Bruno Mars at this point. And we know what we're going to get from Bruno Mars. We're going to get like top-of-the-line production with like orchestral arrangements and just like everything's, everything's AAA. The songwriting is amazing. The hooks are all there. It's going to blow up the radio all summer long. His voice is going to be fucking incredible and unmatched. And this time he brought along one of the great talents in today's music industry, Anderson Pack. So, like, I mean, it's almost undeniable. As soon as you say Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, I say Song of the Year. <laughs> and, like, Leave the Door Open is 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 that song. I mean, it's so it's so stylish and it feel like like you you feel that swagger that they have even as they're sort of having fun with it and <laughs> you know it's all over this album the sense of humor that they have about this is sort of tongue-in-cheekness but still like you feel like you're right there and you feel like you're living in the lap of luxury as you listen to them and you know that's a great feeling that <laughs> it's you know the appeal of bruno mars is that he can create that feeling and make it i mean and make it not feel like a parody or like a throwback make it feel like this is really him and this is really anderson pack and yeah leave the door open is uh a perfect song as many of these songs are i would say perfect but uh leave the door open just really is exactly what i want to hear uh, in this moment in this year i guess so that is sort of those are my lists and that's sort of my reflection on this year in pop music. Uh, as I said, there were a lot of artists who kind of tried and failed to uh, escape that COVID memory hole. A lot of artists were met with diminishing returns, but I think the real standouts had been, uh, obviously, Bruno Mars was able to continue. The Weeknd is the biggest star in the world. The two big, the two, the king and queen of the year are Lil Nas X and Olivia Rodrigo, and they both had these stellar, amazing album rollouts from a marketing perspective, from a fan perspective, from a music perspective. And yeah, there's some stuff that I left off the table there. Adele had a release this year that was a pretty good album. Uh, pretty standard Adele stuff, though. You know, Adele's always going to do the same thing. She's going to put out uh, the, the the sad piano single, and it's going to blow up the charts, and then the album is a, lot, a little weirder than people expect, but it, you know, everyone buys it, and it does amazing numbers. So that's 
Adele in a nutshell there. I'm trying to think if there's anything big this year that I have completely left off the table. You know, it's been an interesting year in pop music. Uh, I guess 2020, well, I guess 2020 had Future Nostalgia and After Hours as the big albums, and this year had uh, Sour and Montero, which are both great albums. Probably I would say that 2020 had a better, like, two albums but uh yeah you know the, i mean a lot of it was just like the the state of music in 2021 was at the year at the onset of the year a lot of optimism throughout the year uh some diminishing returns uh which was what the year was like overall so that's 2021 we're looking forward to 2022. I think we can expect a return of guitar music. We can expect uh, a lot of pop punk acts trying to get into the mix with that. Uh, Big Time Rush just had their comeback, not a pop punk act, but just, you know, I think they're going to be trying for that. And I like the new Big Time Rush song a lot. I don't know if I'll talk about it on any of these, but um, yeah, a lot of comebacks I think are in the cards. I think that uh, someone just bubbling under the, the point of stardom is 100 Gex, and they seem to be moving in a somewhat more quote-unquote accessible direction with this album which might yield them some strong results i could see you know getting a big fe- feature a big remix like the ringtone remix which came close to entering the hot 100 uh, or might, maybe did enter the hot 100 but that was a, a hit uh, in 2020 was it? it could have been 2020 could have been 2019 but um yeah so i think that we're going to see some of those hyper pop influences uh, make their way into the culture. We're going to see some pop punk influences make their way on there. And um, I think the people who are likely to continue from this year are Lil Nas X and Olivia Rodrigo. Of course, The Weeknd is not going anywhere. His album might be out very, very soon. And yeah, you know, that was the year. So uh, our next episode is going to be a big one. Thank you to everyone who has been listening to this. If you haven't been listening, I don't blame you. Been a bit rambly. I was under the weather recently. I've been cooped up at home for a couple days. Uh, And yeah, maybe I'm not (laughs) uh, necessarily on the ball as much as I could be. But uh, if you enjoy the show, the best things you can do are subscribe to our Substack. You can find other ways to support us in our link tree, which is linked in our Twitter Uh, And the biggest thing is you can share this with your friends, share it on social media, let people know about the show. And yeah, I will see you next week. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree, Gary.